0: Good morning. <clears throat> um, we actually know some uh, missionary friends of ours that use that group of scripture as kind of their uh, their vision to go out in the highways and, and things, and they uh, their entire mission and uh, ministry is an RV ministry like we had, and that's what they used. So, uh, so it was kind of cool that that's kind of how this ended up. Uh, so Luke 14 is where we'll be today. Uh, if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, and uh, kind of how I normally do, we're not there yet, but if you want to go ahead and turn, that way we're prepped and ready to go, uh, feel free to do that. Um, so Luke 14 consists of uh, well, more than this, but uh, the two things we're going to worry about today is going to be uh, two parables that kind of play off one another. And uh, mostly these parables uh, deal with uh, banquets and uh, celebrations and things like that. And this is kind of like the overall theme. And I thought that was a pretty good connection considering we're heading into the holidays. And I'm sure everyone is going to be experiencing some form of family get-together celebration thingy. Um, I'm I'm, I'm sure, right? It usually happens during this time. And even if you uh, don't do those kinds of things, maybe you look at the holidays and it's like you're already thinking, excuses of why you shouldn't go, uh, things like that, you, you've at least seen a movie, like you understand big holiday dinners and things like that. Um, and so, and everyone has like different experiences and different memories when it comes to these kind of things. And I thought it'd be uh, just uh, really kind of interesting to even kind of talk about how Sarah and I's experiences from childhood differed, differed quite a bit, okay? So, uh, for example, mine, uh, the big get-together was on Christmas Eve when I was a kid. And it more resembled the floor of the New York Stock Exchange rather than what I would consider like an intimate family dinner. Um, There was probably 1,200 people there, Uh, (laughs) uh, give or take. Uh, No, (laughs) Uh, 50. Probably 50 max. But we're still talking about a house that was probably 1,000 square feet. So it was still pretty cramped. Um, And it was, I mean, nothing but loud laughter and talking and everything. You know, people you haven't seen for an entire year. uh, Sticky floors because my cousin Todd probably spilled his punch again. Um, my uh, Aunt Pat constantly shushing my Uncle Bud for making inappropriate jokes around children. Um, it's just, you know, family things, you know, uh, that was how I grew up. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, just, just so many people, just so many people, this thing, and at least four different tables of food, okay? One of them completely dedicated to the type of food that'd make your belt get tight okay, and I grew up in a family of semi-professional bakers, Um, and I say semi-professional, people did pay them to bake things, um, but they didn't like have a restaurant or anything like that, Uh, but they'd go to like, most of my aunts would get, you know, people from their community be like, hey, this thing that you're really good at, I need you to make it for my family. And so they'd get some, so dessert was the thing to do there. Uh, I mean, just for example, I I don't like chocolate. I um, I really don't. Um, (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Judgey. I don't like chocolate. Um, That's right. Uh, I don't like bacon either. If you really want to start throwing stuff at me, uh, but <laughs> uh, so I don't like chocolate. But like the only the only chocolate that exists is my aunt Joanne's Texas sheet cake. No, no other chocolate exists. Okay, that's the only thing I can eat um, when it comes to chocolate. And so j- just for example, like that. So that was my holidays growing up. So then in contrast, you have Sarah, how she grew up, and so she grew out out west, and her holidays consist of just like the five of them. You know, sometimes more, sometimes less. Like I think it was just more intimate, smaller, that kind of thing. Um, you had the neighbor that come over. That's while you said. Oh, what I said holidays. It's a generic term. Okay, uh, but anyways, just just a smaller smaller group of people, more intimate kind of like that. And in fact, I, I asked her this because I wanted to I wanted to see what it was, and it. It was right on because like, so my big memory was obviously this humongous meal and gathering of it. Her favorite memory that she remembers specifically for Christmas was going out and getting the real Christmas tree. So, and picking that up for her family. So it had nothing to do with like a big gathering or anything, you know? So <clears throat> we, we all have different memories and everything, but if we think about it, all, even how you experience the holidays, how you experience celebration, how you experience these memories like that, it, it all kind of has a general general theme of togetherness and you're celebrating something, right? So no, no matter how, how you look at it, and it, let's even move past the holidays, like it doesn't even have to be the holidays. I mean, you, you've been to a wedding right? A birthday party, um, an office party. Uh, You've invited friends to go out to dinner on Friday night. Like you get the idea of coming together and celebrating something, right? And so whenever we're reading these parables here in Luke 14, this is why Jesus teaches in parables, because a parable is not just some false made-up story, in fact, it's real life events that actually can happen. And he uses those to connect with people that he's telling them to, to, tell, to, tell, uh, to teach through story. right? And sometimes these stories have multiple layers that you can unpack and how they connect and everything. They're, they're really marvelous ways of teaching. Okay, So whenever we read parables, like in Luke 14, every one of us, and probably sitting here, in some way can say, Oh, I've ate dinner with people before. I can connect with this right? In, in, in some way. And let, let's also not forget that whenever Jesus is, is talking through this kind of thing, we're, we're talking about a celebration. We're talking about fun. We're talking about a joyful experience is what he's specifically talking about here. Because if we're honest, sometimes we as Christians get this kind of attitude of, you know, yeah, Christian walk, it's just hard. You know, sometimes it can be super depressing. You just can't have any fun. No smiling allowed, right? And sometimes we get this, like, this self-whipping like, attitude of our faith that we need to, like, beat ourselves into submission so that we, we can actually stand before the Lord. But let's not forget that Jesus is, like, Lord of the party, okay? There's your quote for Sunday morning, right? Jesus is Lord of the party, okay? Uh, <laughs> that was not in my notes. I should probably read my notes more. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, his first miracle was at a party, Right, and not just any party, a, a wedding. Does, does everyone know the traditions of a Jewish wedding? The, the, the wedding dinners, seven days. Has anyone ever been to a wedding reception? Think about that, but seven days long. Okay, big year olds all like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm tired just hearing this story, right? But so let's not forget that was that was Jesus's experience, right? He went to parties for seven days straight. So, well, um, well, here, I'll read my notes. Uh, uh, so, Psalm 3211 all right, is the scripture I want to lead up to. Uh, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O oh, righteous, enjoy, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Okay? We're supposed to want to celebrate. Yeah. Joy, celebration, that, that's in us. Especially if we are in Christ. That should come out of us. Okay? So when he teaches through parables like this, that, that's our connection, right? That's how we, I was like, okay, you got my attention, okay? But we're not supposed to just necessarily just celebrate one another, but we celebrate alongside God. Like, so in Jewish tradition, they would have used these kinds of celebrations, everything like that, not only, again, to, to have fun, for sure, and to fellowship, for sure, but it was, it was training. It was also a teaching, OK, um, there's many like Jewish festivals that would long, be alongside this. OK, uh, think of Passover, for example, is the first one that comes to mind um, again. It's another festival lasting Seven days, seven days, OK, is how long they would take and celebrate this thing. But it wasn't just celebration. It was also teaching, reminding everyone that was in attendance what God had done. Right. The Passover, the 10th plague. OK, what God has done. Right. Um, next one would be uh, Pentecost okay was another festival okay it started as a um, a festival to celebrate like the harvest okay later became it kind of adapted into this idea of a festival of the giving of the law okay it kind of but then we also know it in like acts 2 right where the spirit came down to the disciples in the upper room okay but again it's, it's another festival it's another way of celebrating but not just celebrate remind us of what god has done celebrate him and what he has accomplished okay? Uh, Rosh Hashanah, you know, the Jewish New Year, right? They would take an entire month just to prep for the party, <laughs> okay? And Jewish people know how to celebrate. They know how to have fun, okay? And God's all about that. He, he's, he's pushing those kinds of things, okay? So, but what we see here in Luke 14 is not necessarily a, a, a speak as far as like um, what, what, if we should celebrate or not, sorry, but more of the Etiquette is a way to think about this. All right? So in, in this parable that we're going to, get ready to, uh, get ready to read here in Luke 14, it's this, uh, you, you have this banquet, and then you also have this, this just dinner, okay? And they're, you're using all these, and they're representations of the kingdom of God, okay, as we're reading this, okay? So, um, so Jesus rightly points out uh, during the celebration, uh, during these times, uh, of how, because he's having dinner with Pharisees and lawyers, So he's not just stepping back from afar and saying, you're not doing that right or you should be doing this, not that. No, he actually, he went to the dinner. He's in the middle of the situation teaching them face to face, okay? He's sitting at the dinner table while this is going on, okay? Excuse me. Let's go ahead and go to Luke 14. Those of you that had your finger on it, it was hiding, you should already be there, but if you haven't been there yet, that's where we're heading, Luke 14, okay? Um, so I want to give us a quick roadmap map of where we're heading with this. Um, I don't do this very often, but we're actually going to do a classic three-point sermon. That's what we're going to do, okay? So here's where we're heading. The banquet is humbling. That's going to be our first point. Second one, if you're a note taker, right, this is where you can write on your head, the banquet is humbling, the banquet is free, And the banquet is inclusive. Okay? That's one of the main things we're going to pull out of these parables. I'm going to say that one more time just so we know where we're heading. The banquet is humbling, it's free, and it's inclusive. Okay? So let's go ahead and turn. Like I said, Luke 14, we're going to start on verse 7. And we're just going to read 7 and 8 real quick. Let's go ahead and read that. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Least someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. So uh, tradition back in these times was if you were invited to a dinner, your goal was to try to sit as close to the head of the table as you possibly could, okay? Reason being, the closer you were to the head of the table, the more honor. You had, okay? And it wasn't just honor that you had, it was honor bestowed, right? But it was also honor that people in the community would see, because it was a public facing event, right? So everyone around the dinner table, people that were walking by, looked through the window, they'd see, ah, that guy's got honor. Look at him. He's like second second from the head, right? And so that's what that was, okay? So it's not just an honor society where you're lifted up like that, but it's honor, shame, right? You've heard us kind of teach on this before, right? It's an honor, shame society. So it's not just simply that I have honor because honor honor is just being manufactured. I have honor because you have shame. I'm up because you're down. I have this seat because you don't, right? Kind of like the highest commodity on my Christmas Eve celebrations, a chair. Right? Um, that, that's what you needed, right? You needed that chair as close to the head of the table as possible so that way you looked more important than everybody else. Okay? Let's read this next section real quick verses 9 through 10. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. Okay, just pause real quick. This is really gonna resonate with people sitting at this table. Who's he eating dinner with? Pharisees and lawyers, people that society would say would have great honor, right? That's who he's eating dinner with. And he's saying, don't take the place of honor because you may get kicked out of that place of honor and start with shame. Okay? This would have been a very insulting, very uh, very bad thing in their minds, right? It's like, oh, I don't want to start by evening being shamed. Like, that'd be the worst thing ever, okay? So this is, this is automatically resonating with them. It's like, I don't want to be shamed because I'm an honorable person, okay? So that he's got their attention at this point, all right? Verse 10, but when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. All right, let's be really clear here. Jesus is not against honor in this parable. Okay? There is nothing wrong with honorable, uh, with honor. Next step. He's also not against honoring people and giving them a seat of honor. That's not the problem that Jesus is trying to teach us through this. What Jesus is trying to make the point of is a self-ascribed self-worth where you think you are more honorable than others. The problem is not honor or shame. The problem here that he's speaking to is pride, being too proud and puffed up, okay? That's what he's talking about, all right? So let's put it this way. I'm sure people have been to a birthday party, right? You've been to a birthday party. You've seen how little kids, they'll run around and play and everything. And then it always comes time for us to sit down and blow out the candles and opening the birthday gifts, right? So everyone is forced to sit down and watch this kid start to open up his gifts and everything like that, which is a tradition, in my opinion, that can go away. But so we're all sitting and we're watching them open up their gifts and everything. So you would say, right, everyone at that particular gathering is giving the kid, his his birthday, right, a place of honor, a seat of honor. We don't think of it in those terms, right? Those aren't words that we use. That's not necessarily how we think about it, but that's what's happening, right? We give him a seat of honor, okay? So what Jesus is speaking against is the little brother that comes up, boots his brother out of the way, steals the gift, and starts opening it for himself and says, now this is mine. Okay, in this in this prideful outburst of saying, I deserve this honor because I'm better. This self-ascribed self-worth that is just a prideful outburst. okay? That's what, whoa, that's what Jesus is specifically speaking against. okay? Not the seed of honor, but our, 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 our want to have it for ourselves. Okay? Another example. think about a wedding, okay? Even if you've never been to a wedding reception, I'm sure you've seen movies, okay? You understand how a wedding reception is set up, okay? You have the head table that's usually at the front, right? And that includes the wedding party, groom, bride, maid of honor, best man, you, know, you get the scenario, right? So this would be, like, again, we don't think of it in these terms, but it's literally in the name, maid of honor, right? She has the seat of honor next to the bride, right? Same concept. Let's say that we are all getting our meals, we're all getting our food, <clears throat> and the mother-in-law decides that she's going to walk up there and plop down right next to the bride and say, this is now my seat. <laughs> yeah, people laugh. Like, we automatically know that that's not how things are supposed to be, right? Uh, what, what's getting ready to follow is a very hard conversation and a probably a nice family photo moment, okay? Uh, <laughs> because th- that's a seat of honor that is reserved for someone else. Right? So Jesus says when we enter banquets, when we enter celebrations, that it starts from a position of humbling. Not being proud, not being puffed up, not thinking too high of ourselves, but being humble. In fact, here's another way to think about being humble C.S. Lewis. I think said it best about a humble man. He said, a humble man will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Rick Warren, Rick Warren actually kind of uh, coined, uh, coined a different version of it, but it was originally C.S. Lewis that said it, but he, he kind of reworked it a little bit. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So don't get caught in the trap of fake humility, okay? Fake humility is thinking you don't deserve it. Fake, fake humility is thinking so low of yourself that it hinders you from accepting an invitation to the dinner to begin with. Let me say that again. Fake humility is actually nothing but pride. Thinking that your opinion of yourself is more important than Jesus' opinion of you. Your fake humility is nothing but a barrier keeping you from the kingdom because you don't think you deserve it. Matthew ten thirty through 31, this is what Jesus says. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus puts value on you. If, If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. Jesus values you. And maybe someone listening from home needs to hear that too. Jesus values you. And his opinion means more than yours. So don't get caught in the lie that you've done too much, too many wrongs, that you're too dirty, that you're too bad, that you're too shamed. Jesus values you. And the banquet is for the humble. So humble yourself and accept his opinion of you, not the one found inside you. next. The banquet is free. It's free. So this, we're going to move on to the next parable. And, uh, it's actually in response to a man that's sitting at the table saying, uh, blessed are those that will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And there's probably a couple different ways to read that, um, I, I read it a little snarky, like, that's right. Blessed are, blessed are those who are kingdom, uh, bread and the kingdom of God, like myself, because I'm a Pharisee, you know, or something like that. Like, that's how I read it. Um, but Jesus has a response, and that's what this parable is. So this guy says this comment, and Jesus says, let me tell you this. And then he starts this next parable. Bar- starts in verse 16. We This is what Brian read for us, but we're going to read it again. He said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the same time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. From the perspective of either the servant in this particular parable or the ones being invited, we're going to get to them having excuses not to come here in a second. But uh, So from either perspective, okay, when we think about this banquet that we're either inviting people to or being invited to, we look at it as nothing that we can actually Add to. Okay? There's no value that we can bring to this banquet that the master says, everything is ready. The master, Jesus, God, right? That's what he says, right? He he doesn't say, hey, you can come, but make sure you bring the potato salad, right? There's nothing like that. He doesn't give us this option of a value add that we can bring. Everything is ready. Everything is prepared. He has done it all. It's an open invitation. All you got to do is accept the invitation. That's it. That's all he's saying. Jesus prepares everything for you. The path is laid out clear. There's nothing else for you to do except for accept and believe what he has done. His birth, death, death. Burial, resurrection are all prepared for us as a free gift. And all we have to do is repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in what he has done believe that his uh, sacrifice for us covers that sin so we can attend the banquet, so we can have that relationship with Heavenly Father, with one another. Look around. This church right here is just a small representation of what is being shown here in Luke 14, starting in verse 16. This grand banquet where we all come and dine together and celebrate what the Lord has done for us. That's what we see here. And we are being invited to it. Nothing we can add. It is completely free. It'd be like us bringing a TV dinner to a gourmet meal. It actually takes away from the experience. It ruins it. Jesus says, come. Accept the invitation. Repent and believe in the gospel. Change the way you're thinking about it. The people that were invited here in this parable had many excuses and reasons for not accepting the invitation. And uh, depending on how you look at it, they could be ridiculous or they're cultural. It doesn't matter. The point is they use the excuse to not do it. So I'm just going to straight ask the question. What are you using in your own head as a barrier to accept this invitation? What Why are you believing either about yourself, about God, about the church that is keeping you from saying, I believe. Maybe you had a bad experience when you were a kid at some church. Maybe it's some theological barrier. It's like I have trouble wrapping my head around this idea of this big entity in the sky that created everything. It sounds like a fairy tale. I can't get there. I would say if you're questioning it even just a little bit. If you're, if you're wrestling with this fact that, oh, is there a God, is there not? Do I really believe all this, all this Jesus stuff? Right? If you're wrestling with it at all, let me say this. That's an invitation. You're being spoken to within your spirit. You're being drawn into him. Lean into the questions. Maybe it is some big theological question. That's why the church is here. Let us come alongside you. Maybe we, have it. Maybe we have an answer. Maybe we don't. But we'll pray with you. And we'll seek it together. I don't know what your barriers are this morning. But the invitation is very clear and it's free. Repent. Change the way you're looking at things. And Believe. This is just a this is just a small little thing, right? The small little dinner party. It's what's being used in this parable. This is just a small little congregation, right? But when we meet on Wednesday nights for fellowship dinner, when we invite people over to our homes, all that. It's a direct representation. Of this grand celebration we get to have at the end of time. We see a snippet of the kingdom sitting around us right now and points us to another kingdom that comes in the future. I love the imagery that we get in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. How many are in a great multitude? Count it. I dare you. <laughs> right? We'll be here forever. That's the point. A great multitude. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. They're celebrating. It's a celebration. It's a party. It's a party at the end of time and we're all invited. Right? <laughs> What's the next word? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We get small snippets of that now. Just wait. See, we invite people to this. uh, Man, maybe we need to repent a little, right? But is there a portion of this where we need people to recognize sin? Absolutely, right? We need to recognize that there is something within us that separates us from God. Absolutely. But we also need them to realize that we're inviting them to something else. Right? Right? We're not just taking away your fun. We're showing you how to have real fun, right? And the joy of the Lord. The kingdom waits for you this morning. The Lord is pulling you to Him. Maybe someone here needs to hear that. Maybe someone online needs to hear that. The Lord is drawing you in. Lean into the invitation. What is keeping you from accepting this free gift from God? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Respond to that. Last, the banquet <clears throat> excuse me, is inclusive. Let's go ahead and read uh, verses 21 through 24 in uh, Luke 14. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and cripple and blind and lame. And the servant said sir what you commanded has been done and still there is room. There's room. And the master said to the servant go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled for I tell you None of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Let's recognize that first, the servant was not instructed to make sure each person passed an entrance exam. Uh, this does not look like an airport TSA, right? There's not barriers, there's not a, uh, whatever the magnet wandy thing is to help you find metal. There's nothing like that, right? It's a very simple invitation. And I think sometimes uh, placing the church in the role of the servant in this particular parable, uh, sometimes maybe even knowingly or unknowingly, we put barriers on people. Maybe we see people be like, "Mm, that's not a Memorial Baptist kind of person. Right? Or no, that's not a Christian kind of person. There's no way. Right? I think they have probably enough barriers that we don't need to place them on them. Okay? Okay. Let's not forget our duty as as followers and disciples of Christ is not to just come to church on Sunday morning and sing songs and listen to some guy talk, okay? The job of a disciple is to replicate. That's the job of a disciple, okay? We have it on a banner on our wall, right? All authority has been given to Jesus so that we may go and make disciples, Now granted, there are several steps when it comes to making a disciple, okay? So there's discipleship, that's not what we're talking about, but we're talking about the initial invitation. That's what we're talking about today, okay? Let's not get too deep or else we'll be here all day, okay? But we're talking about the initial invitation to go and make disciples. That's our duty and that's our job, not to put barriers on people, but to ask them to simply respond to the invitation back to Mark 115, repent believe the gospel. Let us also not forget church that our, our more, most lucrative, is that the word I want to use? Sure. Our most lucrative mission field are our neighbors. We live in a community. Um, I think the last time I saw the sign coming into Jeff City, we're up to like, what, 42,000 people? Right? give or take, okay, how many of those you think are in church today, right now? Uh, Who knows, right? I'm I'm just trying to get us to to think about it a little bit, okay? Let's not forget that your next door neighbor is the person that you could invite. (laughs) The person across the street from you is someone that you can take an apple pie and say, hi, my name is, insert your name, don't use mine, um, we just moved in or hey, we've actually lived here for the last 5 years and I'm sorry I've never said hi. Honestly, it could be that simple. It doesn't have to be this grand thing. Mission trips are great, obviously. I'm the mission I'm the mission trip guy. <laughs> okay, they're great, but it doesn't have to be that. It could be much more simple. We invite them to simply come. So this actually leads me to our homework. Um, life groups today. This is what I want you guys to do. Um, first, if you are a life group leader, could you raise your hand? Hi. Now, I'm not waving high. I'm saying, like, lift your hand high. Sorry. I know that was confusing. Uh, <laughs> OK. Super high. Keep them up for a second. All right. OK. If you are not part of a life group, these are your people. All right. If you if you are interested in becoming part of a life group, these are the people to talk to. Okay. Say, hey, where are you meeting? What do you talk about? You know, those kind of things. All right. But these are the people to talk to. Here's why. Okay. Here's why. Specifically today, there's a specific discussion I want you guys to have. Okay. Um, I, I'm sure this makes some people very uncomfortable, um, including uh, probably my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and Nikki, actually, probably right. <laughs> okay. Talk about. The last time you were able to share your faith with somebody, okay? Well, what did your last invitation look like? And what's going through your head right now, depending on who you are, is simply like, okay, I've got like five right now that I could t- I could talk about. Awesome, perfect. There's other people in the room right now be like, I've never done that. Perfect, awesome. Go to life group, okay? And this is how you're going to discuss it. The person that just in your in, in your own head that said, I've got like five that I can think of right now. Talk about it. Because that person that's never done it may need to hear that. Maybe they've never done it because they don't have the words. They don't know what to say. Like, how do you do that? Like, I mean, I I know what I believe, but I don't know how to translate that into conversation. Okay? And then you have someone else that said, like, I've done this like five times. I talk to people every day about this kind of stuff. I'm good at it. Here's how I do it. Now, all of a sudden, we are equipping ourselves to invite people as the servant did in these parables. Okay. Can we handle that in our life groups today? I think I think it's good, right? That's a good practical step. All right. That's that's what we're going to do. Okay. Uh, so we're going to move into a time to actually respond. Okay. I'll respond here um, in the actual service. And there's there's a couple different ways we can do this. Um, first one. Maybe you've heard things this morning that you've never heard before. Uh, we say this a lot. Um, there's not a mistake that you're here. Um, Online, there's not a mistake that you've stumbled upon this video. Maybe you've never heard Jesus values you. Maybe you've never heard that the invitation is actually free. All you got to do is accept it. And that acceptance looks like repent and believe. And repent sometimes can maybe have a negative condensation, but it just simply means change the way you're thinking about this. So maybe you need to respond by saying, you know, this morning, I want to repent and believe. Maybe that's how you respond this morning, is finally accepting the invitation, that tug that you've been feeling for weeks, months, years, whatever. Maybe this is the morning you need to do that. The second way we're going to respond is, as you can see, we're set up for the Lord's Supper this morning. And just like the festivals of the Old Testament, these are just simply a a ritual that we do. Hey, there's that other stand. I was wondering where it was. This is just simply a ritual we do to remind ourselves of what Jesus did. Okay, um, bread representing His body, the juice representing His blood. That's it. It's just simply a ritual, a way to remind ourselves that His body was broken, His blood was spilt. For the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're a Christian, these these elements that are up here are very meaningful to you. Again, just like the festivals of old, right? It's a celebration, but it's also meant to train and teach us. It's both, right? Right? Now, I would say that you know it is just juice and a cracker. Like, there's nothing magical about what's up here or anything like that. It doesn't have power in within, within itself. In fact, if you're not a believer and you come up and decide you want to get some, like, it doesn't really mean anything to you, really. I mean, if you're getting, if you're coming up here to get it just because you're thirsty, like, we we have other things that are probably better than this. to Be honest, <laughs> right? But this is only meaningful when you understand the meaning behind them. So that's another way we're going to respond. If you're already a believer, you're going to, do we have a, Yeah. You're going to go through these and just kind of respond in this way, look through these things. Okay. And then uh, Nathan's going to come up and uh, play music. And during uh, the response song, you're going to come up and get the elements. Okay. So we can take communion today. Uh, we got a couple uh, deacons that are going to help with that. So maybe that's how you respond. Third way to respond is maybe the Lord is pulling at you to go pray with someone. I feel the need to kind of say that every time I preach because I feel like um, maybe we don't do that enough. Maybe we just don't take this time to respond by praying for one another. So as Nathan gets set up here, um, just like I said, feel free to kind of read through these as you prepare your hearts and minds uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper this morning. I do want to read this group of scripture real quick before we get started. And this is in First Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22. This is actually the group of scripture, uh, the passage right before uh, the scripture we usually read for Lord's Supper. Uh, so this kind of leads into that. So I'm going to read this real quick. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because you, when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then Paul goes in and teaches how to properly take the Lord's Supper. And that's usually what we read during uh, times like this. We were seeing here that the Corinthian church was still struggling with a honor-shame class mentality. So if anything, the Lord's Supper also teaches us that all are welcome if you repent and believe. Remember that it is an inclusive gift. All you have to do is accept the invitation, repent and believe.